Scripture reading this morning is from Ezekiel chapter 18. I'll be reading verses 1 through 4. It's on page 744 in the Pew Bibles. Ezekiel 18, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. I was probably about eight years old, and I was out with my dad, and we were checking the calves and cows as we did, oftentimes in the afternoon. And on this particular afternoon, we just happened to walk under a persimmon tree. Persimmons were green, and my dad pulled off a, his pot, he pulled out his pocket knife, and, and he whittled off a, a good long limb. It was probably five or six foot long. It was real keen and green. And he showed me how you could put a persimmon on the end of it and you could cast it almost like a fishing rod and reel and, and whip it right at the end. And, and that persimmon would sail 100 yards. It, it was kind of unbelievable to a little boy. It's like a new toy and an endless supply of bullets, you know, that you could just fire through the air. And, and it was just amazing. And, and I even find myself right now kind of wishing I could find a persimmon tree and just try it again. And, um, and so as, as he was showing me that, and as we did that for a little while, I guess as a lot of little guys would do, I said, Dad, can you eat these? And I guess the temptation was a little bit more than he could stand. And uh, my dad's usually not a practical jokester at all. And, and he said, sure, son, you can eat those. How many of you here have ever eaten a green persimmon? Yeah. You can imagine as I took a bite of that green persimmon and, and of course immediately spit it out and just kept spitting and how it immediately like dries your mouth out and feels like it, it turns it inside out and you want so desperately to get rid of that bitter taste and, and you just feel like if you keep rubbing your, your, your tongue against your teeth some way it's going to get rid of it and, and if you just keep moving your lips in real strange ways some way it's, it's just going to get better and what you find out is for the next several minutes it doesn't get better it's just this this horrible sour taste isn't it interesting that when God was speaking through Ezekiel he doesn't use the the green persimmon but he does use the very same analogy and he speaks of a sour grape and he says the fathers have eaten the sour grape and and the children's teeth are set upon edge but I'd like for you to notice, look back in your Bible, I'd like for you to notice verse 2 that led into that. In Ezekiel 18 and verse 2, he began by saying, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Now God knows what they mean, and they know what they mean. But why is he saying, what do you mean? You see, this whole passage is about calling them to take responsibility. So literally from the beginning of this chapter, as he deals with his Proverbs, can you say out loud why you're doing this? 
Isn't it interesting how oftentimes we don't want to say out loud while we're doing something because when we say it out loud, it makes us sound like we're responsible. And what we like to do is sometimes do things that we shouldn't do and then act like we're not responsible for it. And so here are these individuals, he's calling them on the carpet, so to speak. What do you mean when you say it? Well, well, we, we mean that, that we're not responsible. You see, we're in this exiled, taken to captivity position because of the horrible fathers and forefathers that we had before us. You know, kings like Manasseh, that the Bible records was the most wicked king that, that Israel ever had. And you know, it was, it was people like that that went on before us that leaves us in this horrible, wretched condition. We've lost our land. We're, we're living over here in captivity. Oh, so that's why you're saying that. Look at the rest of the verse here. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use the proverb in Israel. What was he doing? It's obvious, isn't it? He's calling them to take responsibility. The buck stops here. You're responsible for where you're at. And if it's ever going to turn, you're going to have to stop and take responsibility and stop blaming others. Isn't it interesting? how our lives always improve when we take responsibility, but how Satan can convince us that we'll have a much better life if we don't take responsibility. So this morning, I just began by asking you, what is it in your life that if you and God had a face-to-face -face conversation right now, you know he would say to you, you know you really need to start doing this. You know, this area of your life, you, it's time you really give it up and you clean up your life and you really totally submit your life to me. It's time you start trusting me. Turn your life wholly over to me. You know, this area of your life that you've kept as your closet, isn't it time to clean out your closet? What is it? If you had a face-to-face -face with God right now, what would God say to you about areas to improve, about maybe major changes to make in your life and maybe not so major? What is it that God would say? Now, let me go ahead and add this on. What excuses are you making for not doing it? See, generally, the reason we stay in situations that we ought not stay in, we stay in them because we're making excuses and not taking responsibility. We do the blame game. We, we try to, to shift the responsibility to someone else. Or we try to justify. Or we try other means to make ourselves feel better about us. Now, just to make sure that, that we have the setting, uh, that if you were here last week, we developed this fully. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but so that we can appreciate this passage to its fullness, I want to real quickly remind you. Let's think about Ezekiel just a moment. Ezekiel the man, he was a man sent to prophesy to the children of Israel, to especially to Judah, by God, of course, and his name meant uh, God strengthens and he sent at a time where there were other contemporaries also around him that were prophets. You remember at the same time that he was taken over into captivity and he was prophesying to Judah, Daniel had already been taken previously over into captivity and he was prophesying and acting as a prophet in the palace. And, and that's where Daniel was. But back here where, where Jerusalem had been destroyed and scattered and there was just remnants of people just barely surviving, a lot of them in poverty, 
That's where Jeremiah was left. And so we say, okay, so who was Ezekiel? He was the one that was sent especially to this remnant of people hoping that they would wake up spiritually over the 70 years that they were in exile so that that remnant would be preserved and they could go back and build the nation again that would be faithful to God. Well, who was Judah? Before the fall, Judah was a nation that had begun turning away from God because they began trusting in things they could see and in other nations such as Egypt, and so when they should have been crying out for God to protect them from their enemies, they would scurry over to other nations and they would make deals with them. You can imagine them making a deal with a Pharaoh. Hey, will you protect us? When God is saying, that's against my will. You're supposed to be turning to me, God would say, to allow me to protect you. That also increased their taxation. And so they became very uh, in a painful situation financially. But then the huge trouble with that, other than violating God's will, it also brought in, as they opened their door to Egypt and to other nations, it brought in their pagan beliefs, but not only their gods and their idols, but it brought in the immorality that was so much a part of their culture. And so we find Judah in this horrible state morally and religiously. And God says, as we read last week, I'm going to strengthen the arm of Babylon and let them come in and take you over. And so they are over here because God is trying to wake them up. And now, what are they saying? Get this. God is trying to wake them up, and what are they saying? Our fathers, they bit into sour grapes, and it set the teeth of the children on edge. Are they ever going to turn? No. If we don't take responsibility for our lives and our actions, we will never make improvements. And so this whole chapter is a chapter where God is calling Judah, take responsibility for where you are and who you are today and stop blaming others. The blame game is a game that is a dangerous way to live. How often times do you hear individuals and how often are you guilty of saying, well, it, it's the dad that I had. You see, I had a horrible dad and he abandoned me and it really created a lot of hardship in my life and that's the way I am today. You keep believing that and you'll continue to stay where you are in the pit of mire. Well, it's my, it's my mother. She was dysfunctional and, and she just wasn't compassionate and she wasn't nurturing and, and that's the way I am today. Oh, really? You're not responsible for you. It's all your mother's fault. Well, it, it's my children. I had them way too young and, and it, it really just messed me up as an adult and, and I've, I've never known anything but just trying to survive and trying to put food on the table and oh, it's your children's fault. No, it's my parents' fault. No, it's where I work. If you just understood the environment of the culture where I work, you could understand that nobody could be a faithful Christian there. No, it's the sickness that I have. It's the affliction I have. It's the limitations I have in my life. That's my big problem. Listen, I need to stop this morning and I really need to give careful evaluation to what have I been blaming are you ready this morning to say, no, it's me. I am taking responsibility for me. 
You've heard me say it many times, but brethren, we've got to grasp this. Your life is not the result of the things that have happened to you. Your life is the result of how you have chosen to respond to the things that have happened to you. And as long as you are not willing to take responsibility for how you respond, you will always be over here in exile, in captivity of sin, and you'll always be saying, my, my father, my, my parents, they ate bitter grapes, and, and it set us kids, it set our teeth on edge. And you know what God's going to say? Why do you keep saying that? I don't ever want to hear that uttered in Israel again. Do you ever have a parent that used those terms? My mom loved those words. I don't want to ever hear that come out of your mouth again. I can just hear God turning to them and saying, I don't ever want to hear that uttered again. Well, God, what do you want? I want you to take responsibility. You were sinners. That's how you got in this mess you are. You began to worship pagan gods. Oh, but our leaders taught it. No, no. You worship pagan gods. You practiced immorality. You turned your back. It didn't matter what the leaders did. It didn't matter what their parents did. They did it. And God says, that's where it has to begin. Are you willing to take responsibility for what got you in the place that you're in now? How long has this blame game been going on? Please realize I'm not suggesting to you that this is easy for you and I to deal with today because ever since there has been man and woman on earth, we as a human race have not done very well dealing with the blame game. Do you remember when God created Adam and Eve and then they sinned? And you remember God came back into the garden and he saw Adam dressed. That gave him a heads up, something's wrong. And he said, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? And then you remember his... His answer was, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And so he turned to Eve and he said to, to her, what have you done? And notice, she didn't open her mouth and say, I have sinned. She said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Can you imagine the boldness of Adam when he is asked about what he had done, did you eat of that tree instead of saying, Lord, I confess to you, I sinned, he had the gumption to not only blame the woman, but blame God who gave him the woman. That's our human nature. <laughs> don't, don't, don't blame me. I'm, I'm not responsible. Let's pause there for just a moment. Why wasn't he responsible? There's no good answer to that. He was 100% responsible. Let's go back to what I asked you a while ago. What is it that you remain in that you know you need to turn away from it, but yet you found five other people you can blame? Why aren't you responsible? Let's answer that question. You are responsible. You are 100% responsible for how you choose to respond to anything that happens in your life. Sure, there are a lot of things that are unfair there are a lot of things that are painful. Everybody here could say they've been mistreated by someone else. And we could go on and on with illustrations. But the bottom line is how we respond to those, we are 100% responsible for how we respond. So what is the Lord's answer going to be? Let's look back. Open your text there. Look at Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, and notice the Lord's answer. 
We've got it on the slide in one phrase in Ezekiel 18 and 20, but I want to read to you the whole verse here of Ezekiel 18 and 20. If you have your Bible open, look there. And notice the responsibility and where the Lord places the responsibility. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. This goes completely against Calvinism, but it's very clear. And it also, in many ways, goes against our culture today. Well, our culture today is so comfortable with blaming others. We are so comfortable with, with shifting and, and trying to justify, trying to excuse why we do what we do. And here the Lord says, you want to know why you're over here in captivity? It's not because of what your fathers did. You know what? Your fathers are going to answer for what they did and they're going to be punished for what they did. You know why you're over here in captivity? It's because of what you did and you're being punished for what you did. Now, keep in mind, if you remember from last week, the whole plea of Ezekiel 18 is he wants them to turn and live. And so you might at this point say, well, why doesn't he talk about that? He is. Do you realize that you and I cannot turn? We cannot make the improvements that we need to make in our life if we are not willing to take responsibility for where we are at the present time. And that is what he is urging them to do. If you still have your Bibles, we don't have slides for this, but you know, you might look at this and say, okay, 32 verses is a pretty average length chapter in the Old Testament. But you know, really this is a real short chapter if you're outlining it. Because there's three different times that he uses several verses and, and, and they're somewhat redundant. Three different times. Because what he's doing is he's starting out with this proverb to call them on the carpet to say, it's going to stop right now. You're going to stop blaming your fathers for the sins that you have committed. And so then he makes it real clear in those first few verses. The soul that sins will die. In other words, each soul will bear their own responsibility. And then he gives three paragraphs to illustrate it. But all three are real simple. We're not going to read them all, but if you have your Bible open, glance down at five. What he does in verse five is he starts and says, all right, let me show you about a righteous person's life. And he describes how they lived under the old law, a righteous life. And he concludes that in the last half of verse nine, he says, he is just he shall surely live, says the Lord God. But then in verse 10, he says, what if this righteous man that he's just talked about that is going to live because he's lived a righteous life, what if he bears a son? And what if that son, well, what's this son going to do? Look at verse 10. If he begets a son who is a robber or a shedder of blood, and he continues writing about this son of a righteous man is going to become a very unrighteous man. And so what's the result going to be? Skipping down to the very end of verse 13. If he has done any of these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. Now you see the point, but let me go ahead and say it out loud. So we have two very different outcomes for a father and a son. We have a righteous father that God is going to give him eternal life because of his righteousness. We have a wicked son of a righteous father and he's going to die spiritually because of him turning away from God and the abominations that he's committed in his life. Now, what if this wicked son has a son? See, now we're at three generations. What if this wicked son has a son and this wicked son decides to live a righteous life? 
Well, it's the same thing. In verse 14, he talks about that. If however he begets a son who sees all the sin which his father has done and considers but does not do likewise, skip down the last half of 17. He says, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. And then you go to 18, he says, but as for the father and the end of it, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. And then that's what brings us to the 20th verse where he's making it real clear. We are each going to be responsible for the lives that we live. Look, we are not going to stand on the day of judgment and the Lord say, I want the entire family unit to come forward and you're all going to be judged together. He's not going to say, I want the entire Mount Juliet congregation to come forward and you're all going to be judged together. I want two or three of you that are best friends come forward and you're going to be judged together. I want everybody at your workplace to come forward and, and you're going to be judged together. You know this, but we need to hear it and see it from the word of God so that it is it, so that we are taking away the message that God wants us to have. And the message that God continues to echo through these passages is you are responsible for you. That's why in Acts, the second chapter, that's why he could say, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Someone says, I, I'm not my own savior. That's not saying that, that, that you are your own savior. We all know, and the apostle preaching that knew that Jesus Christ is the savior, but he's talking about personal responsibility. You and I have to decide, are we willing to step up and say, I'm responsible. I'm gonna stop blaming others. What if today you set a goal that you're gonna go for this entire week and not blame one other person for things that's your responsibility. How hard would that be for you to do? Not blame anyone for anything that's your responsibility. Could you say for the next week, I'm gonna take all responsibility for me. Do you realize that when people are responsible, like you look at someone, you say, that's a responsible person. When people are truly responsible, they have a high work ethic because responsibility is hard work. They have a great level of commitment because responsibility means that we are committed to God no matter what. They are a person of strong discipline. Because it takes someone to say, oh, this is what I want to do at this moment. I want to shift the blame. I want to distract people from thinking about me. But it takes discipline to say, but I know what is right. And I'm going to stand up now. And I'm going to take the blame for what I've done. I'm guilty. I want to take responsibility for it. But I'm going to turn and I'm going to change. And that turning and changing is where the humility comes in. Listen, arrogant people are not responsible people. When you see someone who's arrogant, you can also rest assured they're irresponsible. They will always try to make someone else look like the guilty party and not them. It takes a lot of humility, a lot of discipline, a lot of commitment, and a lot of hard work to be a responsible person. This whole chapter, God, if you will, is kind of shaking Judah by the shoulders and saying, Will you please stop blaming other people? You can live again. You can have your nation again. You can get back to what you need to get back to if you will just take responsibility. Let's look at the command. 
Ezekiel, the, 30, the 18th chapter, verse 32. It's in here a couple other places, but let's just go right to the end of the chapter. Look what he says there, and then we'll back up and look at a couple of things earlier in this paragraph. Ezekiel 18 and 32, for I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. Remember, we developed that last, last Sunday. But notice this command, says the Lord God, therefore, turn and live. Whenever we are willing to take responsibility and say, okay, Lord, it's me. We were guilty of sin. That's how we got in this situation. I am guilty. The Lord says now, do you want to stay here? No, I don't want to stay here. What do you do? You turn. And the power isn't just in the fact we turn. Oh, now I have the power of positive thinking. No, the power is in fact that we are turning to the living God. We're turning to the God who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. We have Jesus Christ extended to us so that God's grace and God's mercy takes us where we are, guilty of sin, and cleanses us. And so we're turning from sin and we're turning to the true living God so that we can have a true life committed and converted to God. And it's powerful to see how repentance is never just about change alone. Godly repentance is about a change that turns from where we are to God. And it's a beautiful, beautiful turn. Now, can you believe that when they made that turn, they also had the foolishness and the boldness to still, well, before the turn, they had the boldness to still question God, even as he was asking them to turn. I'd like for you to look back at Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, verse 29. If you have your Bible open, you see something very similar in 25, but we're going to read it in 29. And notice what he says here. This is what the house of Israel was saying to them. It's kind of unthinkable. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair or your ways which are not fair? Can you imagine that? God says, I want to talk to you about something else. You throw out that proverb and try to blame everybody else, but you don't stop at just blaming your fathers before you. You also try to blame me, God says. I want to talk to you about that. Really, who's fair? And God says, the way I look at it, you're the one that's not fair. Listen, God has never mistreated us. God is faithful. And today we study this from a new covenant appreciation looking back in the old covenant. So we really can see that God is far more gracious than even just fair. Because we can study this understanding that God sent his son to die for us. And so we can appreciate the fact that God doesn't even try to just settle up a fair. God is very gracious. God is very merciful. God's great love is an extension that changes our life. I'd like for you to see this from 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Turn back, if you will, to 2 Corinthians 5. I'd like for you to look, especially at verse 21. We're going to read 20 to kind of give the, the setting of the paragraph. This is a paragraph where he's been talking about reconciliation and how we serve a God of reconciliation. We have lives that have been reconciled. Keep in mind, God and us were separated because of sin. And so when we're willing to say, I'm guilty of that sin, I am responsible, and I want to turn, I want to change. And he's saying, okay, now we can have lives that are reconciled to God. And so notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. Now then, 
We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now notice this next line here. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that interesting? The soul that sins must what? Die. Why did Jesus die? Jesus didn't sin, but he took upon himself, here this says, the sins that are ours. And so because of that, he died. And so he took upon him our sin and gave us his righteousness. And now think for just a moment. What's that going to mean for him? He took our sin and we took his righteousness. Someone says, wait, wait, Jesus, do you know what you're doing? Because the soul that sins has to die. Do you realize if you take their sin, you're going to have to die? And Jesus says, that's what I've come to do. Friends, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's grace. Our sin upon him, his righteousness upon us. And would anybody here like to declare God is not fair? We've never had anybody be so good to us as God has been good to us. And so with that in mind, what we want is this new life. And this is the end. Look back, if you will, Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, verse 31. He's pleading for them to own up so that they will make that turn so that they can have a gracious God extend life to them. And notice what his plea is for them. Ezekiel 18 and 31, cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? What did he want for them? You know this heart that led you into the pagan ways and into the immorality? That when you got over here into captivity, it led you to the blame game? Let's blame the generations before us. Let's blame God. He's not fair. He says, what I want for you is a new heart. What I want for you is a new spirit. Do you remember David? You remember in Psalm 51 in verse 10? You remember when he talked in his prayer about the very same thing in Psalm 51 and 10? Create in me a clean heart, O God. So there's the heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. But do you remember when he did this? Now look, we're not exactly sure what the calendar was, but it appears to be from the time that he committed adultery and the time that he had Bathsheba's husband killed, it appears that almost a year went by. Most scholars say at least six months to a year transpired. Now think about this. He wasn't taking responsibility. When did he take responsibility? When finally a man that was a prophet of God that loved him, loved God, and was bold enough to look him in the face and say, you are the man. What was Nathan doing? He was doing the same thing God is doing through the voice of Ezekiel. Stop blaming others. Stop running from it. Stop acting like it didn't happen. Stand up. Take responsibility. You're him. And he says, I need a new heart. 
I need a new spirit. I'm beginning to realize how messed up I am. Brethren, if we can't admit who we are in our sin, we can never find the new heart and the new spirit that God has to offer us. Do I really believe that my parents can ruin my life? So your parents ate sour grapes. Do you really believe your spouse can ruin your life and your soul? Do you really believe your children can ruin your life and your soul? Do you really believe that the people you work with can ruin your soul? Are you ready this morning to say no? I get to choose how to respond. I take responsibility for who I am, what I think, what I say, what I do. If I have a broken and a corrupt heart, I'm responsible for that because I have not turned to God. And God the whole time is over here saying, I'm not going to hold you responsible for your parents' wrongs. I'm not going to hold you responsible for your spouse's sin. I'm not going to hold you responsible. And you just keep filling in the blanks. Brethren, it's good news. But it's also very sobering news. The good news is we don't have to answer for everybody else. The sobering news is I must answer for me. So who is God? He is one that wants you to see the value of your soul. I want to remind you, as we will many times this year, of Mark 8, 36 and 37. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What is your soul worth to you? You are the only one that gets to choose the destination of your soul. God doesn't even choose that. You choose where you want to spend eternity. God has done his part. And you can say, I want to gather all the world's possessions. Or I want to go through life and blame the whole world. Or you can say, I'm stopping the blame game. So the church you grew up in wasn't nurturing. So a Christian stabbed you in the back. So a spouse hurt you deeply. So a best friend led you astray. At what point are you going to stop blaming and say, my teeth are not on edge because of what anybody else has bitten into? And when we get to that point, we're ready to be Christians. The Lord isn't looking for people that want to be little Christians. 
The Lord is looking for those that will stand with him when no one else will stand. Where are you? To be the flock that God wants us to be, we're in it together. But at the same time, individually, we have our own responsibility. God loves you so much. God cares for you. And that chapter in Ezekiel 18, it's a straightforward chapter. It is an in-your-face chapter. But the reason that God is doing that is because He loves us. And because He wants us to be all that we can be. But that must require us to be responsible. This morning, can we help you in any way? Your walk toward God. If you're ready to become a Christian, we'd love to assist you with that and see you baptized into Christ as a believer repenting of sins, confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe you've been a Christian and a faithful Christian, but along the way, you've lost the way. And you look this morning, and I beg you, don't look for other people to blame. This morning is between you and God. And why not make it right this morning? Why not take the responsibility this morning and listen? God will bless you in that. And you can trust God. It takes a lot of trust to fully turn it over to God and say, here I am. If we can help you in any way.